0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 1488. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty
1: education starts here. The Tom Woods Show.
0: Folks, the great and heroic Bob Murphy has a brand new book out, Contra Krugman, Smashing the Errors of America's Most Famous Keynesian. This thing is going to give you a ton of intellectual ammunition. Check it out at Contra Krugman ContraKrugmanBook.com. Dot com And I am the narrator of the audiobook version. How about that? You can get that for free through the Audible offer at TomWoodsAudio.com. At any rate, get all the details at ContraKrugmanBook.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. I got a two-part episode for you today. In the first part, we're going to listen to an interview I did some time ago back in 2014 with Jeff Deist, president of the Mises Institute, about what was at that time my brand-new book, Real Descent. A Libertarian Sets Fire to the Index Card of Allowable Opinion. You're going to find some familiar themes discussed here, but I I have new people joining the listenership all the time. So I'm playing that for you. Then in the second part, I want to take a few moments to review something that I don't think I could make a whole episode out of, but I did want to say something to uh, listeners about it. And that has to do with something that happened with the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Here we go with my interview with Jeff Deist.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to Mises Weekends. I'm your host, Jeff Deist. And as promised, we're joined this weekend by our good friend and senior fellow, Tom Woods. Tom, how are you? Doing
0: well, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, as I mentioned in the intro, your book is entitled Real Descent: A Libertarian Sets Fire to the Index Card of Allowable Opinion. So going through the table of contents, it almost seems to me like this is a how-to book for libertarians of sorts.
0: It is, and it's it's not just a how-to book in terms of how to win arguments, although it is that. It's also, a, it's really a how-to-live kind of manual in the sense that you should not feel confined to the... Opinions that you're supposed to hold, you know, that all the respectable people hold. There was an article on Salon not not too long ago by Michael Lind who said, you know, I can't believe we have to waste our time with these libertarians who expect us to take seriously the following propositions. One, the Fed should be abolished. Two, and he lists all these things. So for them, it's okay to say the Fed's policy is 3% off, you know, or taxes ought to be marginally adjusted, that's fine, you can do that and be respected by Salon. But why would you want to? Like, what way is that to live? And and what good is that gonna do? What we need is some cold water in the face, you know? And that's really what the libertarian position represents. We're not saying, well, maybe we shouldn't go to war with those people. Maybe we should just try to starve them to death. You know, we're trying to say, you know, there might actually be a position, a way of thinking that's outside of this constrained set of choices that we get from the New York Times. That's the gist of the book.
1: Well, it's interesting in the internet age, we like to think that there is a much broader range of opinion that's permissible, but it turns out, even when you go online, that there are still gatekeepers, there are still what you call thought controllers, commissars, or enforcers of approved opinion. And you can see
0: that in the way they respond to you. If you do make an intelligent argument about the Fed or about foreign policy, especially if you're dealing with neoconservatives, but there are some progressives who will give you trouble for that too, or whatever the issue is, if you're not on what I call the three by five card of allowable opinion, you're going to be not refuted but smeared, they're not going to bother to show where you're wrong. You're so uppity for having an independent thought that you don't even deserve a refutation. Instead, you're going to be called an extremist and all this other stuff. I never minded being called an extremist because of course, extremist depends on extremely what, right? If I'm extremely awesome, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a completely contentless word. But these are the types of things they do. They'll say, well, this person is just out of bounds or this person is on the fringe and this and that. It's not on the fringe to say, let's go bomb this basically borderline third world country for really no good reason, for reasons we can all see are made up and invented. You know, that's not fringe. It's fringe to say, maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, but they try to use these words like fringe or whatever, to intimidate otherwise decent people into keeping their mouths shut. But to me, what I have fun doing to the contrary is exposing these people for what they are, which is thought controllers. I always use terms like that because it really stings when they have to hear it.
1: But Tom, this goes beyond just debating on the internet, right, I mean, this affects people's lives and careers. For instance, people in academia or people who would like to write for a living, uh, the thought controllers actually impact their lives and careers.
0: There's no question about it i mean there these are there are career destroying smears that these people use now i'm lucky that at this point i have been fortunate enough to build up enough of a following that people who follow me they know the sorts of things that the bad guys say about me they already know it and we just laugh it off and it's okay but if i were just starting out yeah that could that could seriously harm me And as a matter of fact back about 10 years ago when my book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History came out, I took a lot of abuse over that book. There was a signed editorial, a signed editorial on the New York Times editorial page uh, against me and the book. Uh, Reason Magazine, one of their columnists attacked me, although then it turns out, The nefarious Tom Woods has friends and allies everywhere, even on the board at Reason. And my friend told them to shut up, and they never bothered me again. But the Boston Globe attack, I mean, it was everywhere. And it wasn't Woods is wrong, and here's let's prove why he's wrong. If you look at the New York Times attack, it's I can't believe Woods says this, and I can't believe Woods says that. Well, you know, doggone it. Show me what's wrong with what I said because all those statements are eminently defensible. Well, at that time, Jeff, I thought to myself, and I actually called up the publisher. Now, it was a smash hit, New York Times bestseller for 12 weeks, got into the top 10, it was doing great. But I called up the publisher and I said, is my life over? Like, is my career over because of these smears? And you know how your publisher is supposed to reassure you? He kind of sat on the phone and saying, "Um, you know, I think I have to take another call. Like, I mean, he really thought maybe... But what it turns out, I mean, this is just a little word of, of uh, encouragement for people. So it's not all depression. When something like that's happening to you, you feel like the whole world is watching. The whole world is reading every one of these attacks. But the fact is most people aren't. And people who aren't gonna like you will read this and forget your name the next day. But your supporters, if they see something like this, they'll just say, "Up, oh, typical mainstream media. The same way you and I would, would react when they would attack Ron. We, that just gave Ron more credibility, You know, more street cred. Of course they're attacking him because he's a truth teller, but I'll tell you at the time, it is a very scary thing. It's, it's nice to say afterward, oh yeah, it's really cool to be attacked by the powers that be. Well, yeah, that's a lot of bluster after the fact. At the time, it's scary.
1: Well, Tom, I see your new book as doing much the same of what you did. In other words, an end run around the Boston Globes and New York Times of the world. I noticed that you have a whole section in this book in- addressed toward what I would call the beltway strain of libertarianism, <laughs> the uh, milk toasts, let's say, who are so afraid of offending anyone. You know, it's interesting. I'd like to get your thoughts on whether we as libertarians sometimes unconsciously fall prey to PC ourselves.
0: Well, it is easy and tempting. And you know, Ann Coulter made this remark about libertarians. I better not re- repeat the word that she used, but let's just say she called us cowards, but she used a, another word. And what she meant by that was that, yeah, you libertarians, you'll say things that the media is basically okay with, like let's legalize pot. Well, you know, in 2014, it doesn't take a whole lot of courage to say that. But how many of you people are going to come out and publicly say I'm against anti-discrimination law? And I thought she was absolutely right about that. I mean, libertarians were up in arms that she said that, but she's absolutely right. It is hard to find people who will take courageous stances like that. So it is true. In real dissent, there are 10 parts in this book. And one of the parts is aimed at a particular wing, let's say a beltway wing of libertarianism. It's one of the shorter parts of the book, reflecting the fact that this is not my principal concern as a writer, but it does need to be addressed. And for all people who will say, Woods, you shouldn't engage in infighting, which, by the way, of all people on earth, I have more right to engage in infighting after the way I've been treated by some of these jerks than, than most people. I generally don't because I don't have the time or the interest, but it has to be done sometimes. If people are- are taking the good name of libertarianism and confusing that name in people's minds, it needs to be pointed out. But I know that a lot of these people who will say, I shouldn't include a part like that, they're going to turn right to that part first. They're going to flip right to part seven because it's a guilty pleasure. They want to see what I'm saying there.
1: Well, I also noticed that you have a large section of the book devoted to the Ron Paul Revolution. Yeah. And my take is that one of the reasons Ron is so beloved is because he was not programmed, he was very homespun, he was down to earth, he was a family man, he was sort of a gentle bourgeois doctor. And, of course, this is the exact reason that many of the Beltway types hate him.
0: Exactly. And the reason I inserted a section on Ron in this book is, first of all, he exemplifies the idea of the book's title, Real Dissent, because we didn't get any real dissent other than Ron in these presidential debates, it was all stupid nothingness they were debating. You know, who's gonna withdraw how many troops when, or who's gonna send how many more troops when? That was the whole debate. But we got real dissent from Ron, and it was courageous dissent. He would go to South Carolina and say, we gotta end the drug war. He'd go to Florida and say, we gotta end the embargo with Cuba. And that's what we loved about the guy. So what I'm trying to do in that section of the book is record for posterity, why he was so special. I mean, I know that's a little sappy sounding, but why he mattered. What what was so significant? Why we were so excited about him. And what disturbs me is that some of the people I, you know, locked arms with in this great struggle on Ron's behalf are now saying the exact opposite of what they said just two years ago. Two years ago, they would, or three years ago, they would pitch Ron to their friends by saying, you know what's great about Ron is that he's not like the others. He doesn't say things because, well, he's got to say those things to get votes, or he doesn't say things because, well, you got to play the game. But now I hear all these formerly idealistic young people saying, well, hey, look, you know, Ron's a sweet guy and everything, but we got to get things done. And to get things done, you got to say what you got to say. And I, I just think, my gosh, you know, all that time, People were right who said that politics crushes the soul. To see these kids turned into automatons like this is very dispiriting.
1: We got to get things done, Tom, that's for sure. Now, uh, speaking of getting things done, you have two other large sections in the book devoted, one, to war and foreign policy, Mm. and two, devoted to the Fed. So I was pleased to see you taking the right on, head on, uh, when it comes to war. Yeah. Can you talk about that section? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Because, you know, there is a section in the book uh, that takes on anti-capitalist writers, but that's easy, you know, for libertarians. That's like, we're all in favor of capitalism. That's easy. It's harder to take on the war question because, you know, we do have, some of our audience is kind of conservative and the conservatives tend to be the most bellicose on foreign policy. So I did want to take them on partly because I used to be one of those people. I grew up, in the 1980s, and I loved Ronald Reagan, and I supported every single military intervention that he engaged in. Even the ones he just thought about doing, I supported those. And so I see some of myself in these people. And I, I can speak a language that reaches them, but at the same time, it's not, I'm, not just, I'm not by any means coddling them. In, in some ways, I'm, I'm quite tough on them, that it's one thing to get, be swept away by Ronald Reagan when the Soviet Union is around, but it's quite another to get snookered into the Iraq War of 2003. I mean, really. I mean, surely you are above this, for heaven's sake. So I, I allowed myself to be talked into putting the war section as part one of the book to to just go right up front and say, yes, even though this is a book that there'll be some parts of it that conservatives will like, this it's gonna challenge them right away. But with arguments that have reached a lot of conservatives, that I can tell you, I have the emails and the personal testimonies to prove it, these sorts of arguments, they win over conservatives. A lot of us argue with conservatives. We can't understand how they don't see the folly of the foreign policy. So I actually start the book with chapter one on my own personal story of how I went from being a neocon college freshman who didn't know any better, who thought that was the liberty position. I didn't know any better. I mean, who, no one was teaching it to me and I wasn't original enough to think of it myself. Going from that to being the person I am now and how I realized, oh my gosh, I am actually supporting things that are evil. That I mean, it's not even, there's no mincing words here. I'm supporting something that is evil. It's it's a It's a shocking revelation to realize that about yourself. And I think- A lot of people, frankly, if they head down that path, they can't face it. It's too much to face. So they just keep on imbibing the propaganda and moving on. But I'm glad to say that I had friends who talked me out of it, who got me out of it. And so I put that as chapter one, and I hope that it'll help other people to see the path that I took.
1: Well, a lot of otherwise free market conservatives also have a tremendous blind spot when it comes to money and banking. So let's talk about your section on the Fed.
0: Well, as a matter of fact, in the section on the Fed, I take on both progressives and self-described conservatives. It was so funny, you know, in an annoying way during Ron's campaigns that we would get so-called conservatives saying that Ron Paul's crazy. And you'd say, oh, I know why, because of his foreign policy, right? No, he's crazy because he wants the gold standard, which isn't even technically correct these days, but but all right, let's, for the sake of argument, say he wants the gold standard. They acted like this was unthinkable and that the, by implication then, that the existing monetary policy and regime is the best conceivable one or really only needs a little tinkering. I, I mean, these conservatives, they're supposed to support the free market and they're supporting an institution that expressly engages in central planning in order to control certain macroeconomic variables in the economy. Now, if you believe in that, your case for the free market is, shall we say, severely vitiated and can hardly be taken seriously. So Ron is the real free marketeer, and the people, the Austrians, who believe in a genuine free market without these interventions, they are the free marketeer. So again, so I pitch it to them as, don't you believe in the free market? I thought you guys believed in the free market. And we put it that way, well, then they have to try to defend, defend themselves. And what are they gonna say? Well, some intervention is okay. That's gonna be pretty lame sounding to anybody who's following
1: the debate. Well, Tom, it seems like the right has a huge blind spot when it comes to war. The left has a huge blind spot when it comes to markets. They both have a blind spot when it comes to the Fed. Let me throw this out there. Maybe you address it in the book. I do not do not know. Do libertarians have blind spots as well that you've identified?
0: Oh, that's a really good one. Well, some do and some don't. And, and I don't mean to say that I'm perfect. I mean, even my own views on some subjects continue to evolve as I think about them. And if you look at my writing over the years, well, there's been a shift in emphasis maybe here and there. But I do think that, There are some cultural questions that libertarians ought to take uh, an interest in. There are issues related to the family that libertarians ought to take an interest in because we should bear in mind that there is a reason that the state wants to undermine these naturally occurring forms of human association. It's not just because they had nothing to do today, so they figured they'd try to, engage in incursions against the family. It's that they always want to undermine competing institutions. And so to me, I'm not a libertarian because I want to be an oddball or because even because I'm an individualist. People confuse these things. Libertarians don't have to be individualists. I mean, I, I'm not an individualist when it comes to my family. I don't turn to my family and say, well, to each his own, you know, to uh, you know, everybody, every man for himself in this household, you know, you're gonna have to fetch your own dinner. You're gonna have to, you know, fend for yourself. I, I wouldn't act that way. I, I, am, I like being at events with the Mises Institute, and the Mises Institute is a collective group that I enjoy being with. So it's not that we're for individualism against collectivism. We're against artificial collectives that exist only in the mind of a central planner, but naturally occurring social institutions can be uh, perfectly enriching and can be important barriers against the state.
1: Tom, we are almost out of time. Let me wrap it up with just one final question to you. What do you hope the impact of this book will be?
0: Well, I've written at this point a dozen books. I can hardly believe this myself. And people always ask me, which one is my favorite? Now, it may seem, uh, I don't know, maybe unpersuasive when an author says, well, the current one really is my favorite (laughs) because it sounds like he's just trying to sell copies. But at least at this moment... It is my favorite because I think it's a it's a good introduction to what we're doing as libertarians and to what I'm doing. But it's not at an introductory level at the at the same time. I mean, like somebody who's been around the block a while is going to get some good ammunition against the Fed and against the foreign policy that they use and all this other stuff. What I want to see it do is to in effect give people the courage, the uh, the desire to go out there and continue to force the discussion open further. The discussion on so many issues is so closed and narrow, it's almost a joke how little we're actually debating with each other. And yet libertarians have such humane and commonsensical alternatives that are just ruled out. They're ruled out of the discussion off the bat. And what I'm trying to show in the book is that what we have to say is so valuable and so persuasive as soon as it's heard that we cannot be discouraged by how little the powers that be wanna hear it. We should be encouraged by how little they wanna hear it because that means that we're on the right track. So I wanna blast open the discussion and that's why it's such a dramatic title, setting fire to the index card of allowable opinion. I mean, there is implicitly a little card with all acceptable opinions written on it and how can we possibly make any advance if we're gonna confine ourselves to that? So we gotta just set it on fire.
1: Thanks very much for your time this weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is entitled Real Descent. You can find it at realdescent.com. You can find it at Amazon. And in a day or two, you're going to be able to find it right here at Mises.org. Have a great weekend. All
0: right. If you like this show, you're really going to enjoy Real Descent. I'm very, very happy with it. It's very punchy, but also very informative. You can get it. I'm going to link to it at tomwoods.com slash 1488. I will also, I also want to remind you that I am the narrator of the audiobook version of that book, and you can get that for free through the Audible offer at tomwoodsaudio.com. So I have something else I want to share with you guys that I think you'll find rather interesting, but let me start by reminding you of something that may have slipped your mind. You may not remember That September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. I mean, be honest with me. Did you remember that? Probably not. Well, it turns out we need that month because 40% of Americans don't have life insurance, and getting it doesn't have to be difficult and doesn't have to be expensive. Prices are actually the lowest they've been in 20 years, and Policy Genius is making it easier than ever to get covered. This could not be easier. I've used Policy Genius myself. It could not be easier. It is the easy way to shop for life insurance online. You can be getting quotes from top insurers that you can compare in minutes and find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team takes over. They handle all the paperwork, all the red tape. And it's not just life insurance, by the way. They can also help you find the right home insurance or auto insurance or even disability insurance. So if you need life insurance, and chances are you do, but you just haven't gotten around to it, well, come on now. Do it during National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Don't make them have created that month in vain. Use National Life Insurance Awareness Month as your moment to get started. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. PolicyGenius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. All right, let's talk about what's going on over at the Ron Paul Institute of Peace and Prosperity. You know, I hope Daniel McAdams, who is the executive director over there and co-host of the Ron Paul Liberty report, he has been a guest on the Tom Wood Show numerous times, and he has been silenced on Twitter. He has been permanently banned from Twitter, and here's why he criticized Sean Hannity for wearing a CIA lapel pin while giving a talk against the deep state. I mean, how do you do that? So this is what the initial tweet and then his response to this tweet uh, later on in the same thread is what got him in trouble. But the original tweet was visiting a friend watching Sean Hannity. And Hannity takes an hour, quote, challenging the deep state, unquote, while wearing a CIA lapel pin. This is what is called misdirection. America, are you so stupid that you would listen to someone attacking the deep state while wearing a CIA lapel pin? And so then in response to his own post, he wrote another tweet. And He called Hannity, quote, retarded, unquote. Now, Daniel admits, not a polite choice of words, and he probably could have chosen better. But he got the following suspension notice. It is against our rules to promote violence against or directly attack or threaten other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or disease. Well, naturally, Daniel appealed this. He said he wasn't actually attacking somebody who had an actual developmental disability. He said, I was just using juvenile slang to criticize Hannity. In fact, the second definition of retarded in Webster's dictionary is very stupid or foolish. Uh, Daniel then included links to a Twitter search on the word retarded, and he found thousands and thousands of instances all of which used the word exactly as Daniel had used it. None of them were punished. The reply came back, your account has been suspended and will not be restored because it was found to be violating Twitter's terms of service, specifically the Twitter rules against hateful conduct. Well, as a bunch of people pointed out, in order for Twitter's claim to be valid, Hannity would actually have to have a developmental disability that Daniel was making fun of. So in other words, Hannity would have to actually be retarded for this criticism by Twitter to make any sense. It's Twitter, not Daniel McAdams, who's claiming that Hannity is actually retarded. You can't commit hateful conduct against a person's disability, says Daniel, if they do not actually have a disability. But as Daniel puts it, that's not how it works these days on social media. Under the guise of protecting users from disinformation and foreign propaganda, social media mega sites like Twitter and Facebook have for more than a year been partnering up with NATO and U.S. government-funded NGOs like the Atlantic Council and the National Endowment for Democracy. That means that hawkish, pro-interventionist organizations directly funded with our tax dollars get to decide who is allowed to speak and who must be silenced. Astonishing that he would get banned permanently for that, for that use of that word. Not a word I would have used but not a word I could imagine somebody actually having his entire account permanently removed for. That happened to Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute. So if you want to throw a couple dollars over to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, I'm sure they would appreciate it over at ronpaulinstitute.org. They do very good work. This is just evidence of that good work. Um, but I wanted to, as I say, I can't make a whole episode out of that. But I wanted folks to know if you hadn't seen that news item, just to know that that happened. I mean, this could be. I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of bad Twitter bannings. But this one, I don't know. This this one's really, really stupid. I mean, this this is really, really stupid and evil. But there you have it, folks. All right, we're going to call it quits for today. I got some juicy stuff coming up uh, this week and next. Uh, Stephen Kinzer is out with a brand new book on uh, CIA mind control research. And he's going to be, we'll be talking to him Depends on the schedule because I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. When we get to, to run it is a little tricky because this week we have another Democratic Party debate. And I will be talking to Lou Rockwell about that on Friday, the day after the debate. So stay tuned for that. But we got some goodies coming up. we definitely got some goodies. And i, I got Peter Schiff coming back. And, and for Peter Schiff, I'm going to be soliciting questions from the Supporting Listeners Facebook group, which is called the Tom Wood Show Elite. And if you want to get in there with all the cool people and interact with me and them and be able to get your questions answered, then head over to supportinglisteners.com. You get many bonuses. Even if you don't want to be in that group, that's okay. You get many other bonuses that will make your life happy. So supportinglisteners.com will also make me happy. Thanks for doing that, everybody. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.